Welcome to the River City Hope Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us for this important and timely message from God. Stick around for some brief information about the church at the end of today's message. Let's tune in now as Pastor Terry shares today's message on the River City Hope Church Podcast. But I'm so thankful that you've chosen to worship this Resurrection Sunday with us. And uh, we're filled with a renewed hope. And if you're not, you can be, right? It's not too late. Because of the resurrection of Jesus. He is risen. He's risen indeed. I was hoping somebody, thank you, Lainey. I was hoping somebody's going to pull through for me. That is so good. Today we're going to talk about hope, all right? So, so what is hope? You know, around here we like to get involved in learning what do certain words that we use mean and how can they be applied to our lives. And if you think about the word hope, the dictionary, Webster's, they're, they're usually pretty trustworthy, to wish for a particular event that one considers possible. All right? We have hope about things. To have confidence and trust, right? And to desire and consider possible. Hope is an expression of confidence in God, right? We have faith, and that is our trust in Him, that things that we hope for will come. But it's what keeps us going on when our patience is tested, right? You know, you've been to those times where you're patient, you're just like at the end of everything you've got, but you still have a little bit of hope, you've still got something, right? I mean, hope helps us to sustain our determination and our courage to go forward with something. It provides us goals and the motivation to achieve those goals, to actually attain those goals. And so why is hope important in life? It's very important. It's a great necessity for producing and sustaining the enthusiasm that we talked about, required to live a purposeful and a fulfilling life. A lot of times people say, I've run out of hope. I just don't know what my purpose is in life anymore. But if you want to live a full and meaningful life, hope is the one companion that we cannot afford to lose. Amen? It's been said that human beings can live for 40 days without food, four days without water, and four minutes without air, but we cannot live for four seconds without hope. So have you ever thought about the fact that before Easter was a celebration of life, because we're celebrating life here today, folks, it was a time of mourning for Jesus' death. I mean, it would have been only a few days before when the disciples would have watched their friend, the one they believed they had followed, they believed him to be the long-awaited Messiah, to be crucified on a Roman cross. They'd placed all their hopes and their dreams in the coming kingdom that Jesus spoke about, and he was going to bring into the world. But on that Friday, they were crushed as Jesus was brought down from the cross and laid inside of a tomb. It was the finality of Jesus' death in their eyes that would have been the knockout blow to any hope the disciples had for a world where God would finally rule and reign. Where he would free them from the sin that had corrupted everything. You see, the devil thought he had it all licked. He thought that he'd dealt the final blow. Especially when Jesus said it is finished. But at that moment, we know that it was not over for us. The days following Jesus' crucifixion must have been some of the darkest times for his followers. They had placed all their hope in him, and now he was dead. Think about it. Let's forget that we know how the story really goes. We would be sitting in that same place saying, well, I don't know. I don't know how this is going to work out. They put him in the tomb. I guess he's dead. They believed that he truly was the Messiah and that through his life he was going to change the world. But 
Maybe there was doubt. And that's where Satan likes to really get in and work on us, right? When we have that little bit of doubt, he turns it into a great big doubt. Because a little bit of truth, he sprinkles that in there. Say, well, they put him in the ground. He's dead. Doctor pronounced him dead, whatever. But it wasn't until a woman named Mary went to visit the tomb that all hope was restored. You see, we know the story now. The tomb was empty and Jesus had risen. And all Mary wanted to do was to hold on to her Savior once she discovered the good news. However, Jesus wasn't done yet. He had to go to the Father in heaven and to restore all that was broken by sin and make it right for good. Easter is that reminder. Resurrection Sunday is that reminder. Because Jesus is alive, we have hope. I mean, think about unrealized hope. All right, let's look at the opposite side of it. That may be one of the most painful things that we go through in life. Sometimes that disappointment comes from things that are maybe rather insignificant on most days, while other times it comes from life-threatening and life-altering trials. Think about it. Disappointment, what does it look like? How about this? Let's, let's start with the easy ones. You go into the kitchen, you got that hankering for something sweet, and there's the cookie jar, and you go in and you take the lid off and you look inside and all there is is crumbs. That could be disappointing for somebody, right? John, and <laughs> all right? How about this? We've all seen it. The underdog comes from behind and whoops the champion team and everybody just goes nuts while the team that thought they had it in the bag is sitting there holding their head in their hands saying, what happened? I thought we had this. I thought we were guaranteed the champion. We were 50 to 1 and they beat us. How about the faces of people on 9-11 standing on the streets down below, looking at the buildings as they were on fire and as they began to crumble, knowing that they knew people that worked in those buildings. Or maybe they had just escaped from those buildings. And they're looking and they're thinking, well, where are the people that I work with? Where are my friends? Maybe they had family and people who did. And remember those pictures of people standing out there at the, at the candlelight vigils with pictures of their loved ones? That was so disappointing. That was hopeless for a lot of people. Or maybe it's a picture of someone standing graveside. We see those photos all the time of soldiers who have come back in a, in a casket. And uh, how the family and the loved ones are standing there at the airport as they roll it off the plane. Flag draped over it. There's, there's, there's hopelessness in all those. Each of those pictures carries with it all kinds of emotions. And if we've ever found ourselves in one of those situations, we probably relate to how the followers of Jesus felt on that first resurrection morning before they'd received the news. After three days of deep sorrow, they were in need of a resurrected hope. So if we're honest, maybe we need our hope renewed here today. I mean, we've got it all happening on the outside. We got the smile. We got the handshake. We got the hug down. We got it. How's everything going? It's great. It's great. It's good. Or maybe inside, there's that need for some resurrected hope. That renewal that needs to take place. Because life hasn't been easy in some ways. And some of us have faced great challenges, albeit. Maybe we've experienced a devastating loss this year. We know that there's been some family loss this year. Maybe your closest relationships have suffered recently. And some of us had to come to terms with a diagnosis that makes our future uncertain. But our hope in Him, our healer, our creator, is what keeps us going on. And all of this with the backdrop of a pandemic over the last couple of years that continues to threaten a lot of different people's lives in different parts of the world. These things and more, they can be so heavy that it might make us question if God still cares for us and if He's still working in the world. 
But we know otherwise. Because the Gospels tell us that right in the middle of the disciples' darkest hour comes the light of hope. Before we get to the main part of this message, I want to help set the scene. I have a video that I want to share. It's only about a minute and a half or two minutes long. And it's when Melissa and I had the privilege of going over to Israel a few years ago. We didn't know it was going to be used like this, but check this out. Garden. I want to take you to that. This is an archaeological dig, and it is verified through the Israeli Antiquity Department that it is of the time of Jesus, so at least 2,000 years old. And I will leave you with this vision of an empty tomb. John chapter 20, the resurrection. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And the disciples went back to their homes. I was trying to imagine what Peter and John saw when they looked in that doorway. You know, when we first walked in, you look inside, and that rock, it's just, it's pretty hopeless in there. Pretty grim. But hope appears often when we least expect it. You heard me reading in there John chapter 20. This is kind of where we're going to spend a little bit of time this morning. I'll reread it because it was kind of, muffled and kind of the, the sound on it, but I, I want to think about these things. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So she ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. And they were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Now let's stop there for a second. Peter and John had just heard the news from Mary real early in the morning. And they immediately started for the tomb. They didn't say, well, we're getting ready to have some breakfast. We're going, after we do that, we'll go check on it. And see, No, it says they immediately ran for the tomb. Now I thought this was funny in keeping with the author's humility. This is from the book of John. John didn't refer to himself directly, but only as the other disciple. The one whom Jesus loved. Now picture this. They're both running together. I mean, breakneck speed. It's like they're in a hundred yard dash. And the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. I love this. John was humble enough to avoid the mention of his own name, but competitive enough to tell us that he outran Peter to the tomb. Right? Because you know Peter, Peter was always the one jumping to conclusions. He was always the first to open his mouth and say things that they're like, oh man, I wish he wouldn't have said. They were probably making excuses for Peter. Oh, that's just Peter. You know, wanted to walk on the water, all the, all the things, right? But this one I love. He says he outran him. He beat him to the tomb. And from what we know about the disciples, we're confident that Peter was older than John. So he outran the old man, who probably had a little lead on him. 
But they're both running hard. Why? Because Peter and John had just heard some life-changing news that the tomb was empty. Now, they couldn't be indifferent or detached to this news. You see, they had to see it for themselves. Have you ever heard about something so amazing that you just had to see it for yourself? Somebody tells you something, you're like, you won't believe it until you see it yourself. Well, Jesus is so amazing that if you haven't already, I encourage you to check him out for yourself and get to know him. He's amazing. Amen? So back to our story. Verse 5. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Now he stooped and he looked in, the word says. He was the first one to get there. John was looking in, and that Greek word that's used there is blepii, meaning to clearly see a material object. It was clear. He saw it. He was focused on it. And he saw the grave wrappings of Jesus still in the tomb. He saw the linens lying there. And John clearly saw this. There was no mistake about what he saw. But he did not go in. Why do you think he didn't go in? Some say that something kept John from actually going in into the tomb. Maybe it was tradition. Having seen the grave clothes that were still inside, he maybe have concluded that the body was still there and decided not to go in. Either he felt he shouldn't enter the tomb out of respect for the dead, or else he feared the ceremonial defilement of touching a corpse, which was one of their laws. Verse 6, Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. So whatever kept John from going in didn't stop Peter. We've already said, this is Peter, right? He's impulsive. John wanted to stop and think about it, but Peter just went right on in. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there. Verse 7 says, While the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings, from the body. And then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and he believed. So the other disciple, John, right? He saw and then he believed. And Peter went into the tomb. John also was in there. And the scriptures say that when he saw, the word used here was a different meaning. It means to understand, to perceive the significance of. And then John believed. You see, Peter saw with his eyes and John saw with his heart and with his mind. The distinctive arrangement of the burial wrappings, the way they were sitting in there convinced him. And generally, the very first Christians didn't believe in the resurrection only because the tomb was empty, but because they saw and met the resurrected Jesus, right? We have recordings of this. But John was something of an exception. You see, he believed simply by seeing the empty tomb before even meeting the resurrected Jesus, which was going to be happening soon. And he believed that Jesus was risen from the dead. He received into his mind, he embraced the fact of the resurrection for the first time. Verse 9 says, For until then they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. You see, at this point, Peter and John were persuaded of the fact of the resurrection, the empty tomb. They believed. And yet, because they didn't know the scripture, it says that he must rise again from the dead, they didn't understand the meaning of the resurrection. Let's look at this for a second. Knowing the fact of the resurrection is an important start, but it's not enough. We need to let the Bible, God's Word, tell us something about the meaning and the importance of Jesus' resurrection. So we're going to look at a few of these. The first one, according to Romans 1.4, the resurrection means that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Secondly, 
The resurrection also means that we have assurance of our own resurrection. 1 Thessalonians 4.14 tells it like this, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Thirdly, the resurrection means that God has an eternal plan for these bodies of ours, right? I mean, the resurrection means that Jesus has a continuing ministry. Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore he is able, the Jesus being the he, to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them, to pray for them on their behalf to the Father. Fifth, the resurrection means that Christianity and its God, I'm speaking outside of, of the walls here, are unique and completely different and unique among other world religions. There's no other world religion where someone died, was buried, and rose again. There's still bones in those graves over there. If you go to some of those places or dust of the bones that used to be. The resurrection proves that though it looked like Jesus died on the cross as a common criminal, he actually died as a sinless man out of love and self-sacrifice to bear the guilt of our sin. The death of Jesus on the cross was the payment, but the resurrection was the receipt showing that the payment was perfect in the sight of God the Father. Paid in full. In the word, it uses the word, Greek word, tetelestai. Tetelestai was a word that was used in the marketplace. And they would like have a stamp. Like when someone paid off whatever their debt they owed, they would stamp it. Tetelestai. Paid in full. The debt has been paid. That was one of the words that Jesus said from the cross. Paid in full. It is finished. Verse 10 says, then they went home. Boy, can you imagine that conversation on the way back? Huh. Crazy. So let's review. Mary Magdalene ran, came to get Simon, Peter, and John. The other Gospels explain that she wasn't the only woman to the tomb that morning. There were at least three other women who came and accompanied her. But Mary was the one who ran back and told the disciples about the empty tomb. So John mentions her. John doesn't mention the other women that went with her, but some believe that she is the only one mentioned here because she returned in consideration of the great things that Christ had done for her. I mean, Jesus had cast seven demons out of her in, in Luke chapter 8. And she came to the tomb at a great risk. The Jews' religion forbade them to meddle any more than is necessary with graves and dead bodies because of ceremonial defilement. And her troubled past, because she had a really bad past that she was forgiven of, didn't disqualify her from being the first witness of the resurrected Jesus and his first commissioned messenger of his resurrection. And if her past didn't disqualify her of sharing the good news, then we can be assured that our past doesn't disqualify us either. It doesn't matter where we've been. If he's forgiven you, it's about where you're going. And that's all that matters. You see, much was forgiven of Mary, therefore she loved much. Let me ask you, have you been forgiven of much? Have you? Just think about it. All the things. But as Mary arrives back at the tomb, she gets back into this mindset where she assumes that someone have come and taken him away. She's devastated. Verse 11. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place 
where the body of Jesus had been laying. In Exodus chapter 25, we see a foreshadowing of this when Moses was told by God what to do in the temple. And he was told to put the cherubim, the angels, placed at each end of the mercy seat. The mercy seat is where Jesus would be judging and ruling. And he judged the sin and the death and he overcame it that day. So when she sees these two angels in there, you'd be thinking, man, I don't know, I see two angels, I walk into something, I'd be a little bit freaked out. But here's what it says. Verse 13, they said, Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because, she said, they have taken my Lord away. She replied, and I don't know where they have put him. Verse 14, as she turned to leave, she saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she did not recognize him. As Mary looks into the tomb where Jesus had been laid, all she can see is what's missing. He's not here. And she fails to see what is there. She's so focused on the fact that Jesus' body is nowhere to be seen that she misses the two angelic beings who are seated where Jesus was. And through her tears, she tells these angels that she's heartbroken because not only is Jesus dead, but now his body has disappeared too. This is what can happen to us when we lose hope. We get distracted. We, don't fail, we fail to see the truth of the situation. See, when our dreams are shattered and our future becomes unclear, it becomes all too easy to fixate on what has not happened, all the disappointment, all the, unex- all the expectations we had that people failed to meet. What we don't have, what they did not do, or they said they were going to do, and what's missing in our situation. And after Mary speaks to the angel, she turns to leave and comes face to face with the resurrected Jesus. But listen to what verse 14 says. She did not realize it was Jesus. You see, resurrection hope was standing right in front of her. And she was unable to see it because of the fog of despair. After all, Mary had not come to the tomb expecting Jesus alive. She came expecting to find his lifeless body. Scriptures tell us they came back to anoint and to bring more herbs and spices and oils because they were rushed because the, uh, the time had come to where they had to put him in the grave and they couldn't do any work. The Sabbath was approaching. So she came back to do some more burial work. This is a picture of someone who's lost all hope. But Easter, resurrection, comes at just the right time. You know what it is that kept Jesus committed to fulfill his mission? All the way to the cross? It was his compassion for those he loves that caused him to sacrificially give up his life. He wasn't murdered. We heard that on Friday night. He wasn't murdered. He gave up his life. It's his compassion that causes him to resurrect from the dead as well and the will of the Father because we know it was part of God's plan even from the very beginning. And as he meets Mary in the doorway of the now empty tomb, Jesus' immediate concern are the tears streaming down Mary's face. Isn't that just like Jesus? He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Jesus didn't immediately reveal himself to Mary. It wasn't to play some trick on her. It was to break through her unbelief and her forgetfulness of Jesus' promise of resurrection because he had already been talking about it to the disciples and to his followers. Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will go get him. Her words here reveal her devotion. She never paused to consider how she was going to carry the corpse of a full-grown man or how she would explain her possession of it. 
Those were not details she was concerned with. Her compassion and her love for him went beyond all of that. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. See, Jesus had only to say one word and all was explained. She heard in the way he said her name and the tone of the voice of her beloved Messiah. She instantly recognized him. Think about this. Have you ever received a phone call? Maybe you didn't recognize the number, so you, you were in the middle of something, so you let it go to voicemail. But then they immediately, they call right back. So you answer it. And to your surprise, you instantly recognize the voice of the loved one who is calling you. Are we so familiar with Jesus' voice that we can instantly recognize when he's speaking to us? Or are we too busy when he does and we ignore the call? Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. You see how he draws the two together? He didn't say, I'm going to a place you're not going to be able to go, or I'm going to some secret hideaway place. I've got to take care of some business. He said, no. Tell them I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Now just as Mary has given up all hope, Jesus meets her in her tears. Why are you crying, he says. The author of this book that we're reading from today, John, tells us that Mary thinks Jesus is the gardener, right? Tending the grounds around the tombs. I think John offers this information on purpose. You see, it's not that Mary is confused and mistaken, although she is for a moment, but also because she is absolutely correct. Jesus is tending to the broken places of life. That's what a gardener does. They go in and they take care of the things that might take life away from other things and restore everything else so that it can grow and flourish, right? A good gardener pulls out those weeds and takes care, knows how to take care of those things. He's in fact repairing the brokenness that began all the way back in the Garden of Eden long ago in the book of Genesis. The Bible tells us that in the beginning, God created a garden of perfection for His creation to reside in. We all know this story. He had a perfect relationship with them, and they experienced life to the full. But the man and the woman God created disobeyed God and ate from a fruit, uh, from a tree that they were forbidden to eat from. And instantly, sin and death was introduced into the world, and everything was broken. We find this in Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. And the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. You see, God came searching for His creation, but couldn't find them because of their shame. They were naked, so they hid. But the story of Easter, of Resurrection Sunday, is about a God who re-enters a garden called Gethsemane. That's where He prayed before He was arrested. 
And when they came and they took him away, but he came there to search for those he loves and to offer life to them once again. From the Garden of Eden to the Garden of Gethsemane, God the Father and Jesus the Son, there was a plan that they had in store, and Jesus was there to fulfill that. And as soon as Jesus speaks Mary's name, she recognizes him and calls him teacher. In the middle of her darkest moment, Easter came just in time. You know, with this time of the year, often comes the long-awaited arrival of spring. We had snow just a few days ago, didn't we? And we're like, wait, I thought spring was supposed to be here. You know, in some places around the country, the winters are harsh and they're bitter. Like many kids, our daughter Baylor, who's nine right now, looks forward every year to the first snow in the hopes that she can go out and maybe make a snowman and play in the snow for a little while. But after weeks and months of the cold weather, it can really get old, can't it? Unless you really love that kind of stuff. Trees without leaves and ground that's covered in ice and snow causes people to count down the days until things begin to warm up and everything thaws out and comes back to life. Even so, when that day finally comes, it's always unexpected. You see, we grow accustomed to the world without life that we're shocked when we finally see the first signs of life bud out on the trees or the grass begin to green and needs to be cut. We were noticing on the way into town this morning from Shelbyville how pretty some of the trees are starting to get with all the pink and purple buds and all the, the life is just coming back. And we still marvel at it. I'm going to be 55 years old this year and I still look at a tree and say, man, that's beautiful. And every time it's the same tree, same leaves, same stuff, but when it comes from a brown, withered up looking dead thing to life, you guys can relate, can't you? Spring always comes just at the right time to bring life into a barren land. And it's a lot like our own lives. When a newborn baby comes into the room, it can totally change the atmosphere. We know that, don't we? Y'all are about to experience that. We've experienced it with Asher. I mean, you walk into a room, people are grumbling about the weather, and in walks somebody carrying a small baby, and all of a sudden everything is right with the world again, and we begin to have hope, right? And as we grow older, we get closer to the end of this earthly life than we were in the beginning these bodies, they begin to break down and things don't work quite the way they used to. And for each of us, one day, our hearts will stop beating. It's guaranteed for each of us to die. But our spirits will live on eternally. You are a spiritual being having a human experience right now. This human experience will soon come to an end. And there is hope for those who have put their trust and their faith in Jesus one of the first Bible verses I remember learning as a kid, maybe you too, was John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish, but have everlasting, eternal life. That gives us hope. But it's like Martin Luther once said. He said, Our Lord has written the promise of resurrection not in the books alone, but in every leaf in springtime. The seasons of life remind us that God brings life from death. He can bring life to our most hopeless of places. And God is always, always right on time. According to our clock and our calendar, it's like, couldn't you have shown up a little earlier? I really felt like I needed your help. He says it was so that you would trust in me. So that you would see me move on your behalf and know that if I can do it this time, I can do it again. You see, you can feel the shift of the tone in this story as Mary recognizes that Jesus is alive. Her hope 
is resurrected. She comes back to life. And the dream of restoration and healing is once again a possibility. I wonder what would happen today if we were able to see Jesus all around us. Maybe even in the places where we might have been missing Him. Easter, Resurrection Sunday, is when we look at Him face to face and we hear Him call us by name and know that we can hope again because Jesus is alive. I love how this, this church, we believe this. Brett said it, I said it to Lanny, and he said it back in the hallway. We said, you know, we act like Easter is a big deal, and every day should be like Easter, right? Because there's resurrection life ready for us at any moment, not just once a year. It's like, oh, well, you know, I was going to go to church on Easter Sunday, but I didn't quite make it, so I guess I'll have to wait till next year. There's people who think like that. Every day could be like Sunday. Every day could be like Easter Sunday. I wanted to bring in some candles today to show an illustration, but I kind of ran short of time on putting some things together. But I want you to imagine, if you will, four candles up here. Right? They're all lit, and they're burning slowly. The ambiance in the room is soft, almost so soft that maybe we could hear these candles speak. The first candle says, I am peace. But these days, there's chaos and turmoil everywhere. And it seems like I'm not wanted in the world. And upon saying that, peace's flame slowly diminishes and goes out completely. Now there's three candles remaining lit. The second candle said, I am faith. But these days hardly anyone wants anything to do with me. Seems like I'm just lost. And faith's fame, flame slowly starts to extinguish and goes out completely. The third candle speaks gently. I am love. People put me aside and don't understand my importance. They even forget to love those who are nearest and dearest to them. Trying to hold on, love goes out completely. Suddenly a child enters the room and sees the three candles that are no longer burning. The child begins to cry. Why are you not burning? You're supposed to stay lit until the end. And the fourth candle speaks to the little child. It says, don't be afraid, for I am hope. And while I still burn, we can relight these other candles. Faith, peace, and love can be relit when there is still hope burning. With shining eyes, the child took the candle of hope and lit the other three candles. Never let the flame of hope go out of your life. See, Resurrection Sunday is a reminder that God is in the business of awakening hope within us, of relighting the flame of hope within us. Brett, would you mind to come up? You see, God does this in many different ways that can be subtle and can be missed if we're not careful and we're not paying attention. Maybe hope comes through a simple conversation with a friend. You ever have a friend you're just talking to on the phone and all of a sudden <laughs> everything seems like it's going back the way it should be? Maybe hope is sparked by a small answered prayer. You've been praying for weeks, months, maybe even years for something to happen. And finally God has moved in that situation and all of a sudden hope seems alive again. Maybe hope can be found in an unexpected text or a letter 
in the email or in your mailbox. When we were traveling on the road as evangelists and going and doing revivals, I remember we'd get back home after taking a love offering at a church that might have covered the gas to get back home, but we didn't care. You know what? Monday would come and there'd be an envelope in the mailbox. We'd go over to the P.O. box and there'd be something there and somebody would send us a, a three or $400 check just out of the blue. God knew what we needed and He helped provide. Maybe you've had a similar situation where God provided for you at the last moment. Maybe it comes by noticing the beauty of a sunrise. I always love Mary Kay's pictures when she'd be out for a walk in the morning and she'd say, here's today's sunrise. And I'm thinking, you know, that's beautiful and that's the only time, that's the only one you're going to get like that. God promises there'll be another one tomorrow, but that one today was just for you. And he lit it up like nobody else can. Maybe you like sunsets because you know you're a, a night owl like me, so morning time is not quite where you're at. But God can do that. Maybe it's in that last little smile of a, of, a, of a baby or a child when you least expect it. You're feeling like, man, how am I ever going to be able to raise this kid in this kind of a world when I can't even keep my own life together? And you look at that little kid, that little baby, and they smile up at you because they know that you love them unconditionally and you'd do anything for them. And all of a sudden, all is right with the world again. Gives you hope. Hope can be found in taking time to be grateful for what we do have rather than being frustrated by what we don't. Because if we had nothing else but hope, there is hope of resurrection and eternal life to be spent with the Father, to be spent with Jesus. The key here is our expectation level. What do you expect? You say, well, I don't expect much because that would be selfish. We've proven God over and over every time that when we have an expectation of what He can do, He goes above and beyond it every single time. So maybe raise your expectation level a little bit of what He can do. Maybe that's all. Maybe we just need an adjustment. And just like a child, seeing that there is still hope, no matter how bad things look and are, peace, faith, love, and hope can still shine brightly in our lives. Amen? See, the resurrection is victory over death. What Mary discovered early at the tomb was this. The thing that she believed to be most final was not the end, but only the beginning. Jesus rising from the dead meant that sin and its ultimate outcome, which is death, could not overcome Jesus Christ. He held power and sway over it. In fact, he said that in this world you will have troubles, but fear not, for I have overcome the world. And Philippians remind us that through Christ, through his strength, we will have ability to overcome and to do things that we didn't think we had the strength to do. See, death didn't have the last word and the final say. Jesus did. The powerful revelation that comes with this truth is that if he can overcome death, there's nothing in our lives that He cannot defeat and overcome as well. We've been in the book of John today. Earlier in chapter 11, He made this outrageous claim. Jesus, Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus telling Him that their brother Lazarus was sick and asked for Him to come. By the time Jesus arrived at the home, Lazarus had already been dead. 
And while they're expressing their frustration of, why couldn't you have come earlier? You could have saved our brother. You know, Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus very much. So it didn't seem right in their mind that if he loved him so much, why didn't he come when they really needed him most? Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And then he said to her, do you believe this? We know that his word is as relevant to us as it was to them back then. So he's asking you today, do you believe this? Do you believe that everyone who lives and believes in him will never die? Jesus said it to his followers then and he's saying it to us now. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the hope of life eternal and the key to true life now. But it has to be our belief, not just some intellectual exercise that we go through, but a deeper trust in Him that ensures that the worst things that might happen to us in this life will not be the last things that happen to us. We have a hope that is resurrecting all around us for a full life in Jesus now and forevermore. And so, this resurrection day, I want to invite you to believe in the resurrected Christ. Maybe you already do. I want to invite you to give Him your life and allow Him to birth new life within you and the world around you and through you. See, the most important relationship for every one of us is our relationship with Jesus Christ. Choosing to believe that He is who He claimed to be, the Son of God, and the only way to salvation, to freedom, to eternal life. And then receiving Him by faith as our Lord and Savior. That's the most vital act that anyone can ever do. We want life. He said He is life. We need cleansing. He said He's the living water. So Jesus, today we thank You for the hope that we find in Easter, this Resurrection Sunday. The story of Your resurrected life as it renews our spirits and invites us to believe in you with all that we are. But we don't want to miss you today. We want to see you in your fullness and trust in your grace for every person. We give you all the dead places within us, all of the hopeless thoughts in our minds, and we renew our hope today because of what you have done for us. Would you stand with me as we close here today? If you're able. The invitation didn't just stop with what we just said. The invitation continues because we can say a prayer and make it feel like everything all is going to be okay. But maybe you've never truly recognized Jesus as your Savior. And like John, for the first time, you're understanding what Jesus has actually done for you. Not just seeing it in the print on the Bible, but actually seeing it in your mind and understanding it in your heart of what He has done for you. That recognition. Well, today, I would like to invite you to come and make the decision to follow Him. 
to ask Him to save you. You see, a lot of people think that this is a foolish act. They think it's, it's being weak. But no, this is where the strong really survive in knowing they need what they can't do themselves and that He has offered it freely to us. So today, if this is you, I want to invite you to come and make the decision to follow Him. We've got these awesome altars over here. We've got carpeted steps. I mean, it, it's really a show of faith because what it's doing is making a declaration that you understand, you grasp the concept for Him to cleanse you, to redeem you, to bring you back into a right relationship with God the Father. Or maybe you've been through so much lately that you feel hopeless. You don't know what to do next. I'm just going to wing it has become part of your regular vocabulary. You feel like there's more going wrong in your life than what's going right. And you need a fresh start. A clean slate. A renewed vision and hope for your life. I want to invite you to come and give your hopelessness, your sorrow, your self-dependency that no longer seems to be working, by the way. Give it all to Jesus and let Him set you free from everything that holds you down and keeps you from that deeper relationship with Him. If that's you, you're welcome. All the ground at the foot of the cross is level for everybody. Maybe you've been following Jesus for years, but it seems like all of the candles have gone out except for that last one. And you still have hope, but you know there's more I invite you to come. Ask God to relight your fire. Give you a burning desire to have more of Him in your life. More of His Word. Desiring to spend more time with Him. More of what He wants. Instead of the things that fade quickly. Like these candles that can go out. Maybe you want the things of God that have eternal rewards. And a life that leads others to Jesus. Because He's put a new fire in you to tell others about Him. Consider these three options right now. Where do you see yourself on this timeline? As Brett plays, just ask God, so which one of these am I? Am I needing to come for the very first time? Because there's going to be people that are going to back you up and walk with you and encourage you. Or maybe you're needing more hope but you're afraid to admit it because that seems weak. You don't want to be ashamed. Jesus took all that shame. He bore it on the cross. And if we give it to Him, He says, it's, I forget it as much as the East is from the West. Or maybe you just want more. You need a new fire. Wherever you're at, altars are open. So Jesus, we believe that you are the Son of God. That you died on the cross to rescue us from sin and death. And to restore us to the Father. We choose to follow you. To live each day in that moment of living hope. Of the resurrection power that lives within each one of us. We thank you for loving us unconditionally leading us, guiding us, 
Just help us to become a person who's truly loving, a person like you, and be that extension of that love to others as we come in contact with them. Restore those who need restored, Lord. Give hope to those who need hope. Bring faith, peace, and love into every life, every family represented here and online. Because of you, Jesus, we have a living hope. And we receive that today. Thank you, Father, for your gift of your Son, Jesus. It's in whose name we pray. We all sit together. Amen. You've been listening to the River City Hope Church Podcast. It is our hope that God has spoken to you through this message. You can send all questions, comments, suggestions, and prayer requests to us through our website, rivercityhopechurch.com. And if you're ever in the Louisville, Kentucky area, we'd like to invite you to join us Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock Eastern Time. You can find us at 5045 Preston Highway, Louisville, Kentucky, 40213. Thanks for listening.